Welcome to Tide Run Podcast. I'm your host, David Thay, joined by my main men, the Dog Nation allies, Dr. J and Scott the Stat Assassin. Dr. J, tell the people what's up. We'll never forget you, Stetson. <laughs> and Scott, tell the people what's up. <laughs> Stetson's going to forget us soon. Stop taking his oh, meds. Man. I saw a really good meme on the way here, uh, on the way to this podcast when I was uh, scrolling my computer. And it said, uh, it's Kirby Smart with a couple of other guys laughing. It says, and then they said, when the walk-on JUCO transfer leaves, then we'll beat them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'll, I'll share one I saw. Uh, it had Stetson Bennett, and it something about like him being interviewed by a police officer. And it said, uh, yeah, sorry, I only had two natties, but in my defense, they were back-to-back. <laughs> I saw that one, too. That was great. Um, but we're here to talk about G-Day. Uh, it was interesting that this is probably more so than any other years that I've gotten to go to practice and then watch G-Day game. I felt like there was a lot of carryover between what I shared and what we saw. Um, I know you guys weren't necessarily there with me, but like, for example, Makai Muse, I, I told people and led the team in receiving yards in the game. He'll probably never play meaningful snap for us, but you know, whatever. Um, and some of the other things that I saw just scheme wise, there's a lot of carryover in the game. So that made me feel good. Like I knew what I was talking about. But anyways, quick overview. Um, Scott, just overall, what was your general takeaway from watching the game in like a 90 second uh, sound it- it was basically a seven-on-seven Pascal's (laughs) exhibition. And I'm glad that as good at coaching football as most coaches are, they don't understand basic math, or else everybody would only throw on us all the time and we would lose more games. But while coaches (laughs) are smart, coaches are stupid. So we we can play run defense. Good luck with that. Got to run the ball, but even though you can't. Go ahead, Jay. What would you think? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how you really take much away except maybe from the performance of the quarterbacks. Yeah. Um, I mean, some of the really young guys on defense I think we'll talk about were were pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I think you, you probably saw some meaningful football content from the quarterback's decision-making and throwing. Man, other than that, yeah. it's it's hard to get too excited or worried about anything mm-hmm. you see in the spring game. Yeah, well, there's a lot of guys yeah. that can play. Um, it's it's more of an individual player evaluation, and that mm-hmm. only really works when they're going against a player that's a known commodity. Right. And then you also have to couch all of it in, okay, it's one game. Guys can have good or bad games. Mm-hmm. It's a spring game. This guy played 10 snaps against this other veteran player that we know is good, so now we're looking at, a 10 play sample size to decide if this young guy is good or not. So now I will say after having just said that, like nothing in the spring game means anything. Also (laughs) on the other hand, Kirby smart is a maniac and he will absolutely evaluate anything that you gave Uh him to evaluate Uh, Mm -hmm. case in point, the sort of hot talking point this spring that was brought up by, was it Hugh freeze? I think that spring games, should be against other teams mm-hmm. that they should do exhibition games against other teams, which people got excited about to which basically Kirby smart said like, no, thank you. Because then I don't get to see as many of my own players. Right. He's like, if we do the spring game, you know, intra squad, then I get to play twice as many guys, which right. means I get twice as much film, which means I get twice as much coaching material from the spring game. He's so right. listen, mm-hmm. I, it means something to Kirby Smart, so uh, I guess that means something to me. And 
also he's looking at it from a competitive advantage standpoint, which he always is. And, and that's okay. That's how coaches do. We have enough players to go good on good and to properly evaluate things. Mm -hmm. Right. And and that's the exact reason Scott, that high schools don't do inter-squad spring games because unless you're a seven, a school like Grayson or Buford, you don't have enough to go good on good because you don't two platoon. All your, right. And your good players, even if you do two platoon, your best players cross over. Yeah, you're 100% right there. Um, I wrote down a few observations. And again, like y'all said, how much do you make out of this? Um, the tackling was super sketchy. And that's what I saw in practice also. But guess what? Every year I've gone to spring practice, the tackling is super sketchy, especially among the secondary. And the tackling the spring game, we actually wrote last year was not great. So I think we all know that when the, the, the season comes, Malachi Stark's going to make the tackle he missed for a touchdown. Um, nine times out of ten. Uh, you're talking about the Savon Clark stiff arm, yeah, yeah. And Savon got him, and Savon's a veteran player, he's a good player. I mean, he got him, but he'll be a good player for somebody else this year. He's in the portal, he's in the portal now. Mm -hmm. I did not know that, but it it just happened today. And no one's hand is raised for being shocked. Okay, oh, no, no, yeah, he's trying to go somewhere where he can be on scholarship and actually play and, and good for him. Which he's he's good like enough to do one running back. Yeah. He's good. We, we literally had this conversation in our group text. Like why do all of our quote unquote walk on running backs look like legit SC running backs with the exception of cash Jones. And he still looks like a, like a running back that could play somewhere. Just, he doesn't like your typical like Ole Miss, Texas A&M, Alabama, Georgia running back. But no, I mean, um, Clark, uh, Clark and Jones look like an SEC combination where you have your bigger physical dude and then your guy that's smaller and catches passes he just is a yeah. pass catching guy but i just i saw cash jones in person dude like he's, he's little like, he's smaller than me and i was <laughs> he and the thing is i'm like y'all like i've watched him every time he gets in the game last year's spring game and the mop of duty he got he got he looked great but when i see him in practice with the other backs i was like yeah that's why this guy doesn't play because i was like I, i'm watching tv i'm like he's probably dejon edwards size that's what i think watching on tv no. <laughs> oh, he's he's way skinnier. Way yeah, I don't know smaller. I don't know what he's, don't know what he's listed at. Okay. So he's smaller than me. But yeah. Yeah. Like I is, say, he's a little pass catching, like scat back kind of guy. That's exactly what he is. But the he's point is like a receiver. He, you know what? That's really what it looks like. He looks like a slot receiver. He looks like a shorter version of uh McConkey. That's a good that's a good comparison. But the point being, like, this goes back to what you said a second ago. Savon Clark is our fourth string running back. And he might be lower than that if you consider Andrew Paul. Um, and he's probably going to go somewhere and play this year, like play for another school. But um, I put that the tackling was sketchy. And, you know, I think that's just a matter of spring. Tackling is one of the things that, believe it or not, takes reps. People don't realize that. But there is technique and um, things like working your angles, working – there's a footwork tackling. And people don't think about all those things. They just think about you just go tackling. Well, there's technique to it. There's footwork to it. There's reps that it requires, just like anything else in football. People don't think about that. Um, the one thing that did concern me was that I'm not sure about the tackling out of the corners because um, Dalen Everett and Nylon Green are a little bit contact-averse, and I saw that in practice, and I saw that again in the game. And they don't they don't make their scholarship money to tackle. It's got to do it a little bit. Got to do it a little bit, especially in SEC, because people will throw people will quick screen you to death if you're not going to tackle, and they'll they'll also go set they'll also go formation into the boundary, where they put like a tight end on that side to the cornerback side of the boundary and make that corner tackle. I know because people do it against us in high school, so you're gonna have to tackle some. They got to get better at that. 
So I will say that in the past, Kirby has been publicly pretty positive about Everett being willing to be physical and willing to tackle last year, especially as a freshman. So I don't know if that means he's, you know, playing with the not so great shoulder or something in the spring and it doesn't get mentioned and, you know, just a note and a thought. That's all. And, and it could and, be, like you said, he, I just had a bad day tackling. That happens yeah. to defensive backs. I promise you, I know. And another thing, you said this also, Scott, in our group text, but it's hard to tell how good ta- guys tackle on thud, especially, particularly corners, because a lot of times they're the guys that they don't want to take guys to the ground because they get fussed at. So, All right. On, sorry, real quick. On the how come our walk-ons look like scholarship guys, uh, Cash Jones was a 10, 700-meter guy out of high school. He's that fast? Yeah. Jeez. Oh my gosh. I, I wow. Wow. Anyway, I just yeah. Sorry. We can carry on. We don't have to get too off track. But um, I think we all agree one of the highlights of it was Beck. Beck, I mean, looked good, and there's a lot of reasons mm-hmm. for that that we'll get into. But he looked good. Um, and I see you guys added here the first team O line looked strong. I agree with that, especially in pass pro, looked particularly good. And I can only say pass pro because we got even less. Uh, to evaluate from the running game than usual, which is usually not a lot in this game. We got even less. Yeah. The second leading rusher was At, was Brock Vandegriff. Um, <laughs> yeah, which was, I mean, uh, we threw the ball, I don't know, 70, 75%. Yeah, I forget yeah. the exact numbers. It was a lot. Uh, the one thing I will say, you know, we, we've mentioned a couple of times that it was basically seven on seven. It was just yeah. pass, pass, pass. Between that and not having real contact on the quarterbacks, that is the best case scenario for Beck looking better than Vandegrift yeah. and Stockton. And it's true. If the whole game is played with third and mediums, third and longs, you got to throw the ball and quarterbacks not allowed to run. Beck's clearly the guy. The only way Vandegrift will keep it close is if his running adds enough to, you know, to catch him up. And, you know, yeah, like I said, in, in that scenario, you're not going to have any designed runs. You don't really even have any scrambles or off platform plays. So, yeah. And there's at least, I can think of at least the two plays where one was Vandergriff, one was Stockton, got sacked. And I got a, I'm doing air quotes, sack that was not going to be a sack. Like literally yeah. on um, Stockton's, the guy tagged him on the butt with his hand. I was like, that wasn't going to be a sack. Yeah. Vandegrift it was some of those like sacks sack. when they were like actually out the gate for an easy 20 yards yeah. kind of plays. Vandergriff's might have been, but probably as we saw when he turned on his wheels for like a only like 25 yard run or something like that. Yeah. The dude's got the dude can go. You, well, you and, definitely and, saw the the athleticism on that. It was, you know, easy yeah. yards. As as we've said about spring games in the past, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why you, you don't really want to run the ball a lot. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. but you think about the group of running backs we have this year, especially most of these guys weren't healthy and so weren't going to be in the game anyway. But even had they been, right? Our our running backs are Kendall Milton. Branson Robinson and Dajan Edwards and Roderick Robinson, uh, all of those guys are going to hit you. <laughs> those those yeah. are not the kind of guys that you want to turn around and give the ball to in a spring game. Um, if you're if you're trying to no. avoid things getting a little bit too nasty and physical, yeah. um, boy, that is the running back that we've got this year. <laughs> so, I- go ahead, Scott. I'll say when 
when Chubb was still here with Kirby and they overlapped, there was a yeah. spring game where Chubb had like eight catches. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did. I remember that and one. Then, and then he went on to have, I don't know, six that season, right? Yeah, They're not right. going to pound the ball in the spring They're game. They're not going to pound the ball. And to your point, when I talked about how Roderick Robinson didn't look great in practice, and you said, well, David, some of that could be the thud environment. And to, that was proven to be true, Scott, because, boy, when he hit it up in there this game, people were moving out the way. <laughs> they did not want the smoke. He was – yeah. He, He's a load, man. Um, yeah, and and I thought he just from seeing pictures and clips of practice a few weeks back, he looked maybe a little few pounds slimmer in the spring game than he, he did looked, from. He some, looked rocked up. In the yeah, then he did. I agree. From, yeah, and you know I think he maybe, if I had to guess, he might still be five or ten pounds from where the coaches want him to play or the strength staff wants him to play, or he might not quite be there from a, a body fat you know standpoint but it's close and i yeah. think earlier in the spring just from some pictures and from what you had said and other people had said i think he maybe wasn't quite there uh he's he's a big boy he's one of those dudes that if he's not you know and this is just guessing but this is a common thing for some guys if he's not actively staying on his weight he yeah. seems like one of those he's dudes that's just like oops i'm a fullback this week so yeah, I have mean, to... not that the University of Georgia is ever looking for skinny running backs. Okay. <laughs> they're 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 not. Uh, but this year's group is like, oh, Kendall Milton's going out of the game. Oh, here comes Branson Robinson. I mean, it, it's a it's 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 a big yeah. nasty group this at, year. At this point, this group has basically just said we don't even care about long speed for a running yeah. back. What yeah. is right. what yeah. is running back speed? Just give me the beef. And, and even Dejon Edwards, who's only 200 pounds, runs like a sledgehammer. Yeah, so, like, it's even stylistically. Um, let me go over the nerdy scheme stuff, uh, and you guys can jump in here and say what you need to say. Um, still a lot of 12 personnel. I know that's shocking to you people that listen to this podcast a lot. A lot of 12 personnel, lots of condensed sets. Um, lots of loss and lucky. Like, and with I don't know what we have with the other tight ends that were hurt, but it looks like he's going to play. They like him a lot. I told y'all they did, and he's not a finished product by any stretch of the imagination. Him and Delp both had some easy drops, which I told you I saw in the spring too. Delp kind of disappointed me with some of the drops he had because last year when I saw that guy, he had like glue hands. So he just got a little bit of the yips right now, it seems like. Lots of quick screens, um, and I feel like we see this a lot in the spring games. Um and I, I was trying to think – I was thinking about whether this was a staple of the Monk and offense. I was like, you know what? It was really a game plan thing because I had to go back and say in the Oregon game, God, we quick screamed them to death. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things that we we took last year when people gave it to us, and we did a lot of that. And they start off their um, their passing periods at Georgia, what they call their fastball period. So it's all their quick screen RPO stuff. They start with that in their like seven-on-seven seven work, and then they go into the other stuff. So – Oh, we were – I know – from a defensive side of things, Kirby runs the wide receiver screens to death from the yeah. defensive side. And they just yeah, treat they that as like, you know, run defense period for cornerbacks. Yeah, that's what like, that's like, what they this do. is your. Yeah. I mean, uh, so. uh, us coaches call that the millennial Oklahoma because the Oklahoma drill that Jay and I grew up doing is kind of frowned upon. It's considered kind of caveman like. <laughs> um, got an argument on Facebook with somebody that said there was no benefit to spring practice at all. And I was, he's an athletic trainer. I was like, well, um, I have kids that have never put on pads before. So mm-hmm. like I need spring to teach these kids how to block and tackle. 
Mm-hmm. And one of the guys came back with, well, yeah, but you don't need to prep for a game. That's not valuable. And I said, no, I agree with that. But another guy said, well, you can just do it through drill work. Studies show it's just effective. And I said, so you're telling me that I could teach someone how to wrestle without ever touching another wrestler? Mm. Your argument is stupid. Mm. And to your to your point, like, like you said, Scott, that's about as close to really live ammo as they're going to get those corners mm-hmm. and a lot of, as far as they're tackling. So, um, but you added, you added in Scott in the notes that I thought it might've been Jay that um, those quick screens were a Bobo staple. I did not remember that, but uh, I do remember one of our coaches made a joke about running draw plays on third and 10 being a Bobo staple. The, <laughs> the screen right. game has also been a the screen game has also been a spring game staple. staple under yes. Kirby. Yeah, yeah. And it's the same kind of thing where they said, Hey, we're not going to pound the ball, but we'll just throw lots of, you know, short passes, screen passes, swing passes, stuff like that. That um, works. Some of the same things gets the ball in space. And I did notice that there were some times and, you know, you mentioned a lot of 12 and condensed. There were times where they had love it or other slot receivers in tight condensed, in the formation where you would have expected to see Darnell Washington last year. Obviously Uh, they weren't there to block, but they were there to be kind of a formation to open. And in one case to get a jet sweep or touchdown, loved that. Um, I think he was in a condensed set when he got that one from Aaron Smith. Was he, or was he wide for the motion? I don't remember. I'll have to go back and look, but um, also still, still lots of RPO, which I like to see. That was good for me to see that we kept the RPO off of counter our RPO quick stuff off a counter was really good. Stetson, that was one of the ways places he was really good at operating. He made a lot of the right reads and generally got the ball in the right places, minus the TCU game. Um, <laughs> and uh, the first quarter when he should have given counter for a touchdown. Um, but um, lots of RPO kind of that was still the same. And still hunting matchups with our tight ends on linebackers, which I thought was interesting because most programs hunt matchups with their best wide receivers. Georgia mm-hmm. hunts matchups with their tight ends on linebackers. They formation you to get tight ends covered by linebackers as opposed to safeties. And then they use their uber athletic tight ends to beat linebackers. Bauer smoked one of the young LBs. I can't remember who it was on a wheel route. And um, he actually ran pretty well at Bowers, but I mean, Bowers is a freak. I mean, you're talking about a guy that's probably got four, six feet, probably a guy that's going to touch four, 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 five. Um, come on. Um, and yeah, it's it's worth noting that was Darius Smith. Yes, that's what it was. It was nineteen, is, uh, right? Yeah, who's a six six edge rusher? Yeah, and so, so yeah. if you're a six six edge rusher, you're not supposed to be able to run with Bowers at all. He just but, is a really athletic dude. But then Delp got matched up in one of our safeties on a slot fade, ran past him and couldn't find the ball. Or actually, no, it was one. Mm-hmm. Of, might have been one actually, it was I think it might have one of our stars. It was one, yeah. He, I think that was a just lost it in the sun, lost in the sun, but but, he was open. It was like, yeah. And it's just interesting to see that that again is still going to be a part of our offense. Um, and I wrote this in here, but there was an insane amount of eye candy and window dressing for spring game. Like, you usually keep your spring game script very vanilla. They were doing stuff we did in the CFP in our spring game. I'm telling you, like, stuff that I didn't see us do a lot last year. Um, just a couple things before I go too far into the weeds, but. We had the usual motions and shifts from our tight ends, which we do a lot of motion our tight ends around. But there was also some really deceptive pass protection. I'm not sure what this protection is called, but we'd put a tight end to one side. We'd play fake the ball towards tight end, uh, away from the tight end. We'd get a puller. I believe it was usually the guard pulling to the in front of the quarterback as if it was counter, but the quarterback ro- takes three steps on the handoff, then pulls back into uh, his pass drop. So what that does is linebackers who are taught to read that puller 
are sucked up into coverage and it opens windows for your crossing routes. And I saw us do that several times with our pass protection where we would slide to the left, pull one guy opposite the slide. And I hope I'm not talking over people's heads here. And he would set up to block the edge defender right in front of the quarterback and the quarterback was set up to pass. And I was like, we're doing this in a spring game. This means this is like some of your base concepts. The other one I saw they did with Lucky, and I don't remember seeing it with anybody else, but they would send him on the snap. They would send him in motion and snap the ball like he was going across to kick out on counter, reverse, and pivot back out into the flats. And he caught one of those for a quick gain. Again, that was stuff we didn't do to the CFP last year. So here's what I'm going to say, and Jay, you said it earlier. My Mike Bobo concerns have gone from, you know, moderate to like zilch. Hmm. Zilch. I've seen enough. Mm-hmm. It, he's good. He's doing the right stuff. Um, I don't know if you guys felt the same way. I, I've kind of felt that way. I, more and more. I I think from the beginning, I was telling people he was absolutely the right choice. I I'm glad they hired him. He's probably a a B plus in terms of like just scheming yeah. talent. I like as a as an offensive mind, like he's he's probably not on the level of Todd Munkin, but that no, yeah. I mean he, he was the right choice, man. I don't know, kind of like you're saying. I the more that we've seen of things that he might do, of ways that he's going to use what Todd Munkin already did, and maybe even build on that a little bit. Um, I mean, I yeah, I'm starting to feel a little bit more of not just the pick was good because it's stable and in house. But yeah, I mean, there, there's maybe some talent there that we yeah. just haven't seen him be able to use since he was last an offensive coordinator for a good team 10 years ago. And, and Bobo was always one of our best recruiters Yep, when he was here under yeah. Rick. And as, as good as Munkin was, recruiting wasn't really his game, no. which was fine. He was still yeah. a phenomenal offensive coordinator. Yeah. It's not uncommon at all to have an offensive coordinator who is, you know, one of the least involved recruiters on your team because he's busy doing other stuff and that's not where his strengths were. Yeah, and we were like a 12 and 2 team with James Coley as our OC. So there's that. <laughs> there's that. Um defense, not a lot to say scheme wise. I don't have much to add. And you I think I think you made this note here, Scott, but we're missing a lot of our front seven. Um, a lot of front seven. So, I mean, Smile Monday, Jalen Walker, Michael Williams. That's the three, like three, maybe the three best players in our front, arguably, like didn't play in this game. So, yeah, like, and, significant. And I, and I mentioned because those are probably the three maybe most disruptive players in the front yeah. seven. Yeah. As far as the guys that are going to get penetration, you know, make cause negative plays, that kind of stuff. So, and it's hard to evaluate how much is those guys missing? How much was it? Yeah, the offensive line is good or or played well, but all right, guys, give give me your assessments of the quarterbacks. And I have the stats up there, but without reading through all that stuff, just your general assessments of the quarterbacks. Uh, Jay, you go first this time. Yeah, I mean, again, Beck was very to me very clearly the best. Which yeah. um, I, not only just in general, based on the based on the stats, based on I think pretty much the impression of anybody that watched the game, even if they're just kind of a casual fan, but also even in the scenarios, right? Beck was the best playing with the ones and playing against the ones. Mm. Um, and Vandergriff, even when he was playing against the twos, 
albeit with the twos. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, he didn't he he, he didn't look particularly sharp uh, in that role either. I mean, also, and this is the case really for Vandegriff and for Stockton, um, they both are much more talented with their legs than than Beck is. Mm-hmm. And while in a live season situation, that is certainly going to be an asset. It might sort of halfway be kind of a liability in a game like this. As we said, yeah. what turns out to be a glorified seven-on-seven seven situation um, is really kind of better for Beck because he is going to be pretty comfortable back there knowing he's not going to get hit. He's going to make a read. He's going to use his big arm. Um, whereas Vandegrift and Stockton, you know, they, they might actually pull it down and run, but then it's like, can you even really run? And did somebody touch me or did they not? Um, <laughs> so it, it actually probably kind of hurts their ability a little yeah. bit to make sure they're going to stand back there and deliver a throw. So again, with all the regular caveats about a spring game, that being said, Beck definitely looked the best. Um, I, I'd be curious to know what y'all think about sort of what Beck's comps are. Um, maybe we can do that in a second. Um, yeah, we'll come back but, to that. That's a good question. Yeah. Uh, Scott, what did you you have anything to add to that assessment? Uh, I think the thing with Vandegrift was that he didn't seem like his timing and processing was as good as Beck. So that mm-hmm. was where he wasn't quite uh, up to par. It was sort of an extra half beat, an extra mm-hmm. one or two little ball pats when it should have been out, which I think is probably – you know, mostly on the mental side. I, I do think if Vandegrift for Stockton looked as good passing in Beck in this game, then the job is over and it's not Beck. Yeah. Like if they're that. the same passer, it's not a close competition because yeah. it's an easy yeah. choice. Um, mm-hmm. And so I don't, I don't know how you grade a spring game, but, you know, if Beck played like an A, I don't know what's Vandegrift like a B minus. But if you adjust for the competition, yeah, and, yeah. But but then when you start looking at thinking about who's going to win the job, then UK is okay, and then add the legs in for him, mm-hmm. and then that makes him like a B plus or an A minus, and then you go, oh yeah, that's why it's one A one B, and Beck is ahead, but it is actually fairly close and probably closer than it looked on G day. And, and I'll just be honest. There was, I didn't say this in the podcast, but there were several times with the ones where I couldn't tell you through the ball, Becker Vandergriff. Mm-hmm. I had to go check the number. Like even like looking at them, if I had a good look, but if there was like, if I was, when I was on the other side of the field, I just saw a ball go in the air and I was like, okay, which one threw that? Like, that's how good both of them looked when the ball went in the air. Like we're the point where I couldn't tell the difference between Vandergriff and Beck and at, at times. And that was an ongoing thing. <laughs> What it's worth, my father-in-law who does tires for several of the UJ players, when they come in, they are all very high on Vandegrift. And I, that's as much as I'll say. They are very high on him. So. And and Vandegrift is staying, which is and nice. he is staying, which is huge, 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 I, huge. I heard one of, the, uh, one of the beat writers, I don't know who it was, but somebody on a podcast, um, they said, like, for what it's worth, uh, that they feel like all three of the quarterbacks have – just like really, really good rapport with the whole team. I mean, in one sense, that seems kind of, I mean, surely everybody's got a favorite. Um, yeah. But just just because you said, I just recently heard that. It was like today or yesterday. I heard one of the beat writers say, for whatever this is worth, that like all three quarterbacks seem to be really, really well-liked by the rest of the team. 
And they're all three getting real reps. I can tell you that. Like I watched, they all three get real reps and they are really all there is. Cause we didn't recruit a quarterback this year. And they're really all there is until we get, is it Dylan Riola next year, supposedly. Um, right. And it sets us up really nicely. As long as one doesn't leave unexpectedly and leaves with that gap, which right now we're set up very well. Um, just so y'all have the numbers of the quarterbacks, folks listening, Vandergriff was 13 25 for 175, two touchdowns, one interception. Uh, he was sacked, air quotes, sacked three times. Dealt with very shaky protection. Do you guys agree with that? Yeah, yeah. certainly compared to Beck. Yeah, yeah. But Beck was like, Beck, I don't think, got a blade of grass on his jersey if this is a real game. Uh, some drop passes really hurt his production. He did throw one legit pick. And what you said about the timing, Scott, is what I saw. He is right now just – he's holding the ball. He holds the ball. And yeah. when it comes out, it's accurate and it's strong and it gets there. But he's holding the ball. And in a real game where he is right now, it's one-two run probably. Run. Yeah. It's yes. first read, second read, run. Run. So, I mean, obviously that's not ideal. You'd like to have guys get into the third or fourth read before they run or, you know, get through your first two reads and then scramble around, roll out, and – set up a pass with your legs because it's yeah. easier to throw 50 yards and run 50 yards. But Beck played a uh, Vandergriff played better than his 13, 25. I think we can all agree on that. And Beck was 15 to 22 for 221 with a touchdown. I thought he was actually even better than that. Um, watching him throw the ball. And the thing that described me, that dude is smooth. He is a smooth operator. Like he can change speeds. He has the thing that I thought was most impressive in the spring game was not just accuracy, meaning getting the ball to the right place, his ball placement, like putting the ball away from defenders and where his guys can catch it easily. His ball placement was just so high level. And Jonathan, you said you were impressed with his RPMs. So that, which, which, which is interesting to me, I think a Beck is having a good arm, but I don't think of it's having an all time arm, but you, you feel like he's got like a, like a, like a howitzer. I mean, I, yeah, I, I think he's got a pretty darn big arm. I mean, when I was thinking of UGA comps in terms of, in terms of the style of quarterback that he is, um, I mean, the first person that came to mind to me was Matthew Stafford, not because he has as big of an arm as Matthew Stafford. No, he no, he doesn't. He absolutely does play. not. Uh, very, very few people do. Um, but then the second person I thought of was JT Daniels, hmm. maybe just because those are two guys in recent memory that are yeah. pretty much exclusively pocket passers, but very dangerous pocket passers when they're doing what they want to do back there. I mean – I don't know. I, I, y'all tell me what you think of his arm strength. I, I might say that his arm strength is south of Matthew Stafford, certainly. Yeah, but, yeah. But, but but maybe north of JT Daniels. Do you not think so? I I would agree with both those assessments. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he's um, got he's got better ball placement and accuracy than Stafford, and um, it's it might it might be better I mean, than at, Daniels. At this point in his career, Stafford was already in the NFL, so That's true. That's it's true. a little mm-hmm. bit hard to compare. You know. Those two guys. Um, yeah, good, I think he definitely has a, a plus arm mm-hmm. for college, for sure. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that along with that was his ability to change speeds. On that wheel right he threw, that ball was so beautifully lofted up. It was like he handed it to Lawson Lucky. I mean, and then you see him zip a zip an out route the next time. It's like his ability to change speeds, understand how to manipulate ball speed. And like, it was just, he's like, he is truly like a thrower of the football. You know what I mean? Like, like he is, he is truly a, a good thrower of the football, and that impressed me even more so in the spring game than even when I saw him in person. I mean, um, he, he threw one, and this is just a spring game, of course. But I mean, there was one kind of mid-range ball that wasn't even a deep ball 
that he absolutely bulleted in there. And listen, you, you know that I will not disparage Stetson Bennett <laughs> under any circumstances. But Beck zipped one in there, and I and I was immediately like, "Oh yeah, that's what that looks like." Well, so <laughs> <laughs> like that was a fastball <laughs> that I feel like I haven't seen in a little while. Yeah. Um, Stockton uh, to wrap this up. The Q's uh, 13-22. 444 yards, no touchdowns and a pick. Uh, the pick was not a real pick. It went off. I think it was actually Makai Muse's hands and right in the railing at railing uh Wilson. Wilson, and he took it to the house. Um, and did, did y'all see what I was saying about him? You can see the talent. Like he threw a he threw a fade to I can't remember who it was, a back shoulder fade to I think it might have been Dylan Bell. And you're just like, that was a heck of a throw. Like, b- but then you also see just these little scatter shots. Sometimes the ball's not going to the right places. It just—he's just—he's yeah. just a a redshirt freshman. He's just yeah, a redshirt. He's, freshman. he's a young quarterback playing with the threes, so not everything exactly. is functional. Exactly. And he's making some young mistakes too. Everybody's making their young player mistakes. Um, and then I have to point out, I to, I, I I felt vindicated for spending three minutes of the podcast talking about Makai Muse, uh, kid I coached against. Uh, talked to him last year when he had it was in a knee brace when I saw him at spring practice. A uh, super nice kid, dude. He's like crazy smart, also. And uh, he returned to punt in the national championship game, which I'm sure is something he'll tell his kids about. But he's a guy that didn't really have, like, he doesn't even have a 247 page. That's how low he was in the recruiting rankings. He was at Grayson for three years, transfers to Central Gwinnett. His senior year balls out. He's our region player of the year, all state. And um, he led the team in receiving yards this <laughs> and this week, this week, past weekend in the G Day game, a four for 91 and a touchdown and had a, Kickoff return that wasn't a touchdown, but I like to joke with Jay was. And then a punt return that was legitimately like 50 yards. So he always played like a punt returner. He's the typical slot that can run for the catch. He will never play a meaningful snap for this team, more than likely, but he is going to go play somewhere else and have a very successful career. Unless he gets an actual like punt return job. That's fair because he could do that. He was good at that in high school. I mean, I, I was wondering about the special teams. I don't. I guess I've heard people say they they think that's going to be love it. Um, yeah, but he did. But he did. Man, it too. I, I don't know. I, Muse looked awfully good. I don't know. Go ahead, Scott. Oh, I say you mentioned he doesn't didn't even have a recruiting page. He's one of those guys that he had 200 total yards to his name yeah. before his senior year. And so you know, so yeah. much recruiting happens at the sophomore and junior yeah uh, years. If you've got no film and nothing to your name and you don't have measurables because you're 5'8", then, yeah, you don't, you know. But at the same time, we were offering him a preferred walk-on spot the same way we are to Savon Clark and Cash yeah. Jones, guys that other people had deemed as G5 players and we're, you know, valuing him the same, right? So it's sort of interesting. And, and just – when we find like we're like watching Central Gwinnett prepping for them, we're like, who is this kid number two? We've never seen this kid before. And Central Gwinnett was one of those schools that had a lot of turnovers. They had kids coming in all the time. We're like, we we haven't seen this kid the last couple of years. We feel like we would have noticed him. He's actually good. So and they would have a new quarterback every year that we'd never seen before. Um, so that's just how they rolled. But um, one of the things we all talked about in our group chat was our linebackers. They're ridiculous. Like it's ridiculous. We had Raylan Wilson and CJ Allen who really popped. And we had talked about in the group chat, how many other schools these guys start for? I legitimately think they might start for every other school in the SEC. I really think that CJ, like uh, 
CJ Allen might start for Bama like today, like legitimately. I have a hard time thinking of school that they – and I maybe some linebacker something that I'm missing, but at both spots, I know there's not a school that they would be – I know there's not another school that they would be threes at. <laughs> I can tell you that much. That part – yeah, that part I definitely would agree on. I think at any other school, those guys are heavily in the rotation. Yeah. And maybe maybe twos for us now, or at least one of them, right? I mean, I, since Ryan Davis has gone into the portal – yeah, it, um, it depends it, on whether Jalen Walker is an inside linebacker or an outside linebacker. That's right, right, right. And and a lot's going to depend on that. As we were saying earlier, with Walker, Williams, and Munden being out of this game, I mean, those are three guys that we're going to need to be disruptors. Um, so yeah, kind of a lot depends on what they do with Jalen Walker. Um, but uh, anyway, no, those 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 guys look ready to go. And yeah, the fact that the fact do. that that's depth for us. Um, is is just is just crazy. They they really look good. Oh yeah. Um, other people that you thought flash. Just in case anybody else y'all want to shout out. Uh, somebody had mentioned Damon Wilson. Yeah, yeah, that was me. Um, and he, I feels to me like he was mostly against the twos. I think. Yeah. Um, I think there was one time in particular, maybe against Chad Lindbergh. Uh, that he just absolutely shucked him um, and went straight to the quarterback almost <laughs> untouched. Um, but uh, again, like a position where like we need some help, right? And it kind of feels like we've been missing uh, that sort of athletic ability. I mean, maybe since Ojolari. Um, mm. and, we've got a, and we've got a couple of guys right now, a couple of freshmen. Well, I, I think Adam Anderson was a pretty good athlete. <laughs> I would forget. I just forget about him, honestly. Yeah, literally, you really do. About him. You just forget about him. Um, blocked, blocked him from my memory. Um, Darius Smith and Mapemba, man, like I yeah. swear, they're like the same player at times. Like they're so long. And did you did you notice Mapemba just kind of casually run down Morissette on the like wide receiver? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> I did not jet notice that or whatever. Yeah, it was pretty scary. Just running right there with the wide receivers, two hundred forty five pounds. Yeah. So, yeah, right, and, and then, between Marvin Jones and Darius Smith, Wilson, and Mpemba, boy, you got an outside linebacker room that uh, they got the athletic tools, right? It's a lot of first and second year players, and so you're still going to get a lot of Chaz Chambliss. I'm a veteran, do my job, play the run snaps, but there's some athletes. And we were talking about how we thought that room was barren coming into the season. And that, I mean, it, it's bearing on proven yeah. experience, guys, right? I, I mean, I think if the coaches thought that they didn't have anything, you would see the portal. A transfer yeah. portal guy coming in. Maybe that'll still happen. Maybe they – but I, I think at this point, they're going to let those guys grow. I think also the coaches are probably aware that the schedule doesn't have the hardest start to it. So. <laughs> A lot of these guys where you're like, oh, it's only freshmen and sophomores, but it's sophomores where this is their second spring practice and they've done two playoff bowl practices for back-to-back years. And, you know, they've been here a while. And then by the middle of the season, they've actually been in the program for quite a bit. So the last one I wanted to shout out was Tyke Smith. Like that is the first time in the three years he's been here that, that that he looked like the All-American that we thought we were getting in 2021. He's moving better. He was physical down in the slot. He tackled well. Like, that's the guy that we thought we were getting. Still not sure I love him at star as opposed to safety because Javon Bullard was just so good there last year. But 
I mean, I don't see we're gonna think we're gonna see much of a drop in our safety play. And I include the star in that conversation with safety. So that was good to see. Um, big t- big picture takeaways as we wrap this up. Scott, you can go first this time. What'd you think? Big picture takeaway. Um, yeah, you know, we haven't mentioned a whole lot about the transfers, but obviously Ryan Davis was a good player for us. He's sort of in the Tresman Marshall yeah. mold, or as a, a veteran guy who was gonna be in the rotation but also wasn't uh, the high end of the rotation and I think was ahead of the freshman, but it was definitely a sprained ankle away from being totally out of it and can go somewhere else and start. Not somewhere else in the SEC, well, not when you transfer during this window. But So I don't know. Has anybody know where he's going to end up? Is he going to just go to Oregon or something? I had not um, seen. Yeah. But anyway, so he's a good player. Also, the linebacker group is extremely deep. So it's not going to most likely impact our team very much as far as wins and losses. Barry Alexander. We lost three blue. Sorry, Scott, interrupt you. I just want to touch on what you said before you leave it. We lost three blue chip inside linebackers, four and five stars. And we're not even blinking. And MJ Sherman, Trezor Marshall and Ryan Davis. And it's like, Oh, good luck to you and your future endeavors. We won't miss you. You probably weren't going to play that much. That's insane. That's what we're talking about, Jay. Like how insane the depth is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's just completely wild. Um, Bear Alexander was in the rotation on the defensive line. I don't know that he's necessarily a starter. He's a very talented guy. I also don't know how much transferring is even his decision. I'm not saying it wasn't, but, you know, you hear some stuff and read between the lines, and uh, it's a matter of open public state records that his financial aid was cut off, which is not normally how it Mm. goes. Normally you leave that open until they've actually transferred. Right. So you cut it off. If he's not allowed back, even if he wants back kind of thing. Hmm. Um, I think they were asking people about it. Players about it after the game. I forget. It was one of the veteran. Yeah. Well, I of linemen. Yeah. I think it was Stackhouse maybe. Yeah, you know, let's just say he had some things to say about how previously the defensive line group wasn't yep. as cohesive and committed to the team as they should have been, yep. but now he felt good about it. And that was yep, his, that's what he said. He was answering a question about <laughs> Alexander transferring. And I think they had asked, you know, Javon Bullard about it. And he sort of took the mama told me if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. <laughs> he said, Oh, well, you know, I'm not really in the defensive line. Yeah. in the meeting room so i don't know and yeah. i was like come on like you don't know who this person is because he's not playing your position and it's kind of weak and then of course there's been lots of reports about you know all, all kinds of shenanigans from him but which are you know internet message board stuff so probably half's true and half's nonsense so we won't go through all of them but there's enough smoke where there's probably fire yeah um but anyway yeah so the the big takeaway is there's a lot of depth. We're losing out on, you know, having guys transfer out that are good players that you'd be happy to have on the team would have played this year. And you're like, eh, oh, well, good luck. Have fun. See ya. We'll pack your bags. Uh, Alexander, I guess. <laughs> but but I, I mentioned him more specifically because we talked about it with no Michael Williams playing. You didn't have a lot of disruptive guys in the yeah. front seven, especially the down linemen. 
Bear Alexander had a chance to become that guy this year. Yeah. So now he doesn't for Georgia. You still have lots of other guys who have a chance to become that this year. You got the veteran guys that can take it up a notch. You got Ingram Dawkins. You have Jordan Hall. You know, you got oh, yes. um, oh, yes. you got Kristen Miller, another young mm-hmm. guy. So there's still a lot of talented dudes there. A lot of guys that get off the bus looking like NFL bodies from day one. Um, but you got one less of those guys now. Yeah. Hopefully you still have guys that step up and play like first rounders again. But that's, you know, a little bit of an unknown at this point, more so than the last couple of years. To the, to the point of the depth, one of my big picture takeaways is a question for you two. How many position groups are we definitely worse at this year compared to last year? Okay. I can say maybe corner because maybe corner. Yeah. The same corners or definitely or likely. Likely. Definitely. Definitely. I will say definitely corner because you have the same group minus your best player, essentially corner. So I'll say definitely corner. Okay. I I think definitely is a high bar. I think Mm -hmm. probably you're a little worse at safety. Okay. But I couldn't say definitely. Right. Not definitely definitely, because Malachi Starks is year older, but Starks was good last year. And Chris Smith played very, very well. But it's really is Chris Smith better than Tyke Smith? That's what that's what you're really. Yeah, comparing. it's Chris Smith for Tyke Smith, and boy, I don't, I don't know. I've, yeah, I've, I might, I might dispute that one. Chris, Chris Smith is really good. Did his job in our system the way it's supposed to be done? Yeah, he sure so, did. So love, love Chris Smith. Won't say like, a bad word about him. I, I would have a hard time saying even definitely, but like you said, may, yeah, definitely or probably. It's not a definite. Okay. I would say probably, but also it's very close. Um, I would say outside linebacker, uh, no Nolan Smith. We don't have somebody that can do that. So, it, again, definitely is always hard because are some of these young guys going to be All-Americans? If one of these dudes is an All-American and outside linebacker, then that changes things. But you don't have Beal, you don't have Nolan, so okay. probably worse at outside linebacker, right? We don't, we don't, have, we don't have any outside linebackers right now that we know are as good as we knew Beal and Nolan were coming into last year. Yeah, I, I, I have a hard time disputing that too. Like even though, like, we might not be saying that at the end of the year if Marvin Jones Jr. is as good as his height, but we don't know that. And right. you said, yeah. And so, again, if you, J- Jay didn't ask if you're more talented or equally talented. He said, as good. And so, right, right now, compared to a year ago, because that's the only comparison yeah. point we have. Not as good at outside linebacker. I would also say not as good at tackle. I think Ernest Green looked good. I think they're pretty happy with Blasky as the third tackle. But you're not looking at Broderick Jones, McClendon, and Mims as your swing tackle. So if you take tackle as an isolated position, but O-line yeah. as a whole, I don't know that I could say it's worse. I wouldn't say, I definitely, I couldn't, I definitely couldn't say it's worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's hard to say. I mean, I think, you know, you have – it's probably about pushing even on the line as a whole. Obviously, yeah. you have the same guy back at center who's a year older. You have Mims, who was, I don't know, almost a starter, I guess, last yeah. year, but obviously very good. And you have Ratledge back another year. Um, it, Those are pretty similar. I don't know. You could argue either way, probably, depending on your own personal preference from this time last year to this time this year. Where do you I, land, Jay? I haven't even come up with like a number necessarily that I – you know, I'm prepared to argue it's only this number of position groups, but 
I'm surprised at how small I think that number is. Yeah. Um, and especially even as, as we were just going through the list there, I think you can kind of see the trend in any place where we do think we might be worse off. Um, it's probably because of one guy uh, yeah, that, 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 pro- that probably no team in the country could replace. I mean, a guy like Jalen Carter, Keely yeah. Ringo, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Darnell Washington, right. Roger Jones. 100%. Right? Every, every single place where we lost a standout guy, um, I think we've got what feels like a pretty good chance at a solution. Um, and it's just, it's just kind of surprising to me. The amount of turnover we have, the amount of guys that are going to the draft, um, I feel pretty darn good. I, I might even say better than I felt in preseasons past where we won the national championship. It's been zero years, <laughs> by the way, since we won back-to-back national championship. Um, I feel pretty darn good uh, about even what we've got coming to replace the guys who are kind of theoretically irreplaceable. And man, you combine that with the schedule. Yeah. That's, can't talk looks, about that enough. It looks pretty nice right now. It really does. Scott's going to go ahead and register 11 and one for the fifth straight year. Oh man. It's, I gotta say, it's kind of tempting this year to round it up to 12 and 0. I yeah. know right now the over under is 11 and a half, Take which over. is, which is the correct over under. I, yeah, I, forget, it how is. It's, it I is. forget how it's juiced, but um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, I gotta say the last time we, Lost a meaningful game. Oof, it's been years. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, let's see. The last time we lost a meaningful game was, yeah, November 2020, the Florida game. What's the last regular season I, game we I lost? Don't, I don't count the SEC championship game to Alabama as a meaningful loss. Because, because you can make the playoff without it. Be, yeah, because I it was you. a scrimmage that doesn't count for anything because we were already in the playoffs that we yeah. then won. Um, you could argue that that was a meaningful game. I didn't really feel that way. I wasn't. I didn't it cost us the number one. It, it cost us the number one seed for whatever that's worth, which hey, it was worth was, yeah. worth was worth nothing. Um, uh, but circling back around what you guys talked about the depth. Um, one of the positions where, as a group, I think we might be better is at receiver, and y'all, I think y'all think that too. As a group, we're better, even though we don't have that guy. And we even put this. I think we all put this in our notes that. I wrote down 80 Mitchell be nice. <laughs> like I, I like the group, but it would be nice to have the guy, but you know, who was the guy last year? Cause 80 Mitchell didn't play mm-hmm. the guy mm-hmm. last year. The same guy. It's going to be the guy this year. It's Brock Bowers. And mm-hmm. it, it worked because our tight ends are our matchup nightmares. We have enough other weapons, especially if Aaron Smith is anything close to what he showed in that spring game, which we thought if he's healthy, like he could be a Henry Ruggs type player. He's not going to have that kind of production, but that could be his kind of impact on the game. And boy, if we didn't see that in the few touches he had. Yeah. It, it's a really good wide receiver room, top to bottom. And, and we've you talked said about this, it before, so we won't say it a ton, but it's but it just fills a, all the different, you, you have a lot of different roles filled, Scott, yeah. is what you said. You have a lot of different exactly. roles. And so, so, um, so bottom line, Georgia's really good again. Are we going to have to win the Natty? Yes. Will we? Too early to tell. But this is a team that looks like, at worst, a college football semifinalist. I mean, and I think that's like the floor. Uh, I don't think that's the floor because you could always, I don't know, lose at Tennessee and lose a conference title game. And now you've got two losses and you're not in the playoffs. That's 
very possible. Yes, it's possible. What's what's is Tennessee rolling with Bazooka it, Joe this year? Is that Bazooka right. Joe? Right. So yeah. this is very much a hey, exactly how good is Tennessee going to be? Or Spencer Rattler could get hot like South Carolina at the end of the year, and they could upset you. That's a that's that's in play. He's right. It's in play. I just think like. Yeah, like without going into all that, we'll save that for our summer preview because we're going to – but like I, I, my point being, I think that you're starting with your expectation for this team being the semifinals, and you'd be surprised if it's less than that. That's kind of what I was getting at. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, I think if you were having to put money on it and say is it more likely to make the playoffs or not make the playoffs, I think most people would say more likely to make the playoffs. playoffs yeah. Yeah, I, it's got to think. Uh, uh, 11 and a half is the correct number. Yeah. I, yeah. A, a, a single loss is not impossible, but it's disappointing and unexpected. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so I think if you go by uh, ESPN FPI, um, which came out recently, Georgia's actually ah. third in FPI. So there you go, Kirby. You got your wish. Yeah. God. <laughs> Who's number one? Who do you think is number one? I would think it'd be Ohio State. No, it's either Ohio State or well, actually I don't know. I'm not gonna guess. It, it's Ohio me. State. It's, it's Ohio, Ohio State. State. Okay. Yeah, it is Bama. Okay, where's yeah. USC? USC seventh is seventh. Okay, all right. That's I don't know right. how FPI handles transfers though, which could yeah. be huge. He's been given. adjusting. They've been adjusting the formula for it. I know with SP Plus, he's been trying to figure out how to weight it. But right, this is in the weeds. You people don't want to hear this. <laughs> but anyway, all that to say. This is a prediction model. It more or less has Georgia rounding to a 12 and one final record and a 63% chance of being in the playoff. All right. And we got feels about right. Yeah. And we do better cut this off before Scott and I start talking about Grogu, Din Grogu, the Mandalorian, and the Darksaber. And Jay will sit here and be laughing at us. All right. So that's a wrap on spring practice. I hope and pray I get a chance to go again. It was so insightful and I enjoy being able to share my insights with you folks uh jay and scott thanks for jumping on a weeknight i told my wife we'd be done by 10 o'clock we made it so we can go kiss the babies in bed uh so uh jay tell the people adios i'm glad we didn't get arch manning (laughs) shots fired uh scott tell the people adios arch manning will be really good but he's not anywhere close to starting and he's no steps in minute. That's it for today. <laughs> Thank you Preach. for listening. <laughs>